their stories being told. By people who are out of their minds. That's what we've always believed. Entertainment podcast that brings to light ingenious, interesting, and sometimes unbelievable stories from history and mixes in creative storytelling. Every episode, we hope you can learn at least four facts that you can use around the dinner table or in the wrecking yard to astound your family, friends, or the junkyard dog. The headlines are ear-catching, that-can't-be-true factoids, while the explanations show you just how real they are. Every week, there will be two little lies thrown into the mix to keep us on our toes and vigilant for the truth. My name is Michael. My name is Brenna. And the topic this week is... Patents. Patents. I'm going to say patents weird this whole time. How about the, you guys drink every time you hear the word patent? It's going to be good. <laughs> Just wait and see. You'll have a grand, good grand old time. Good, 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 grand old time. We've already started. <laughs> so this week's kind of peculiar. We're, we're actually not following our normal three stories, one lie thing. Uh, this week we are telling a... I don't know. I don't know what you did, but... Well, mine is a creative story writing. <laughs> oh, mine's written like an epic, and you need to pick out... There are three main parts, three, I, I guess maybe three acts, you would call them, and you need to pick out the one that is false. Mine is written like an episode of Entourage. So it would be very helpful if I actually watched Entourage. They can't hear you nodding your head. I just... <laughs> <laughs> So what's your episode of Entourage? I'm glad you asked, because I've never seen Entourage. So this week, I did a creative story, and I'm going to tell you a story, and it's going to mention three things that were patented, and you have to pick out which one of these things is a lie in the story. Okay. And we have a secret guest in the story. We don't have a secret guest. It's you. You're in the story. It's that. That's it. It's oh, you. fun. <laughs> okay. Well, this is already doing out to be trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many of these we're going to do. <laughs> don't worry. The worst one's always the worst. We threw out the first two episodes. We, we did. We threw out entire episodes. <laughs> For different reasons, though. Okay. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes. There he was. Or at least... There I thought he was. My glasses were dirty. I needed to take them off and clean them, but I didn't really want to. <laughs> I let out a sigh before I began unscrewing the tip of my left eyebrow piercing. What a drag, I thought to myself. I dropped the stud. Well, that's just great. I began unscrewing the right eyebrow piercing so I could finally remove my glasses and just give them a wipe on my shirt or something. I dropped that stud, too. Well, that sucks, I said to myself, and gave the dirt a Luigi kick. I wiped the frameless lenses on my shirt, and now, with no eyebrow studs to hold them to my face, I instead held them to my eyes with my hands. Finally, I could make out Michael, making his way towards me, a noticeable sway in his hips. Ah, yes. He was wearing the most sensual article of clothing known to humankind. The loincloth? <laughs> Close. The diaper. Nobody thinks that. Ah, <laughs> <clears throat> oh, yes, he was wearing the most sensual article of clothing known to humankind. 
the scrotal support garment patented by Sasha Baron Cohen himself, known more colloquially as the mankini. What a sight. What's wrong with your neck? <laughs> I'm trying to do a voice for you. Hold on. <clears throat> what 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 should you sound like? What's wrong with your neck? Oh, that's better. I like that. <clears throat> What's wrong with your neck? I was pulled out of my dreamy gaze by a rough voice. Huh? What's wrong with your neck? It was Michael. You know, the only other person I've mentioned to be in the vicinity in this scene. My neck, I answered in confusion. You've got something on your neck. Oh, yeah. My fingers reached the small square patch on my throat. It's just an electronic skin tattoo coupled to a mobile communication device. Michael's piercing green eyes bored into my soul. He demanded more, but said nothing. Uh, you know, it's this thing Motorola came up with. They put a microphone on this tattoo and then this tattoo on my neck. His cold gaze remained unaltered. I began to sweat as I tried to explain further. And the microphone sends my throat signals to my phone so I can talk on the phone in loud crowds. And just when the pressure to continue with an already exhausted explanation seemed too strong, he finally responded. Wait, what? What? What did you say? Which part? His face softened. Sorry, I was thinking about how they get air to fry. What was that thing on your neck again? Relieved and slightly annoyed, I answered. Just something that allows me to talk on the phone better. Cool, cool, cool. Can I get one? He asked nonchalantly as he adjusted his bifurcated junction. His BJ. <laughs> I mean, yes. How did you know? Continue. Not really. Motorola never got the patent for it, so it doesn't really exist. In fact, I don't even know how I got this thing on my neck. That sucks, he replied. I could tell he was noticeably bummed. Hey, don't worry, I started, wanting to cheer him up. He wouldn't want it anyway. They were going to program some of them with the ability to tell when someone was lying. And no one wants to wear a snitch on their throat. We shared a laugh which both began and ended in perfect synchronization before we turned our backs to one another and walked away with no particular intention. The End You have just witnessed the retelling of a true fictional story including the three following inventions. The frameless glasses attaching to body-piercing studs. The scrotal support garment patented by Sasha Baron Cohen. The coupling of electronic skin tattoo to a mobile communication device so Motorola can tell when you are lying. So, I'm 99% sure the glasses studs one is real. Because they, 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 they basically make magnet magnet studs, and then they put them, I don't even know what you call them, but like above your eyebrow, and then like, you just like, pop, your glasses right onto them. Won't that erase your brain or something? No, which leads to the third one, because I believe this was a thing during the 90s. I don't know if it was a tattoo, but I do know that Motorola was working on some sort of voice recognition uh, technology that could that could tell if you were lying. But I don't think it ever got out of the prototyping stages because I just don't think you can tell if you're lying out of a, just your voice. Which leads to the Mankini thing. I don't think Sasha Baron Cohen patented the Mankini. But on the flip side, I don't see a ton of mankinis, so 
Someone must have the patent to it. I think the, I think the lie is it's not Sasha Baron Cohen. Okay, so you want me to read the one about Sasha? Okay, this girdle support garment patent by Borat. A man named Donald R. Quinn applied for a patent in February of 2008 for a scrotal support garment meant to aid patients for an array of medical issues involving the scrotum only for it to be denied by the patent office. In the rejection letter, the examiner included a photo of Sasha Baron Cohen in the 2006 comedy Borat wearing the famous mankini, which looked exactly like the drawings in the patent as proof that the garment had already been invented. However, Sasha Baron Cohen does not appear to own the patent for the mankini. So good job, you did it! You picked right! Would you like to hear about the other things? Yes, please. Okay. We'll do the the glasses first just because it's it's just somebody's weird it so- patent. It sounds very cyberpunk. Actually, both both of your other ones do, really. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. They both do. The mankini is the only one that's like more towards the let people be free. <laughs> I think it's the other way around. It's hold people to themselves. <laughs> hold your little man to your man. <laughs> hold your appendages. The frameless glasses attaching the body piercing studs. Patent US 655799-4B1 filed on July 18, 2002. According to the patent, the present invention relates generally to eyeglass wear and, more specifically, to glasses having clip members for attachment to body piercing studs. These would be a frameless pair of lenses that attach to the wearer's face via either eyebrow studs from which they would hang or a piercing through the nose bridge which they would clip onto. There is a photo of the latter version, the through the bridge, uh, which I was able to find on a 2020 post for the Thanks I Hate It subreddit on reddit.com, which will be included in the show notes and which I will now show to my fantastic co-host. Yes, please. Oh. <laughs> oh it's not like, even cool. You look like such a weirdo if you're not wearing them. Like, <laughs> if you're not wearing you, your glasses at the yeah. time and just have your, I'm, yeah. I'm ready for them though. You, you look like a stupid, uh, you look like a stupid Frankenstein. <laughs> it's like, instead of having the Frankenstein things on your neck, you just put them through your nose. Yeah, because they protrude out, like, that's gotta be a half inch on both sides. And it's know. also a little, uh, I'd, I'd say it's a little pocket protectory. <laughs> yeah, yes. It definitely has the same feel of somebody you see with a pocket protector, just like, mm-hmm. I will say the coolest thing about this is it looks like the uh, lenses are, like, they're module they're not attached to each other so like if you, if you scratch like your right lens you don't have to go get another set of glasses you can just replace that Re- replace your your right monocle i'm oh, sorry my. guys he doesn't wear glasses he doesn't know that they do replace single lenses all the time do you think you could just like walk around with like one of them in and just like you get like a monocle attachment and just like look hella baller i mean well for the definitely for the eyebrow ones, but I don't know about the bridge ones because you need one side to be. For the eyebrow ones, it probably looks like a pocket watch coming down from your. <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> you look like a, uh, uh, that guy in Ace Ventura, the one he called Money Bags <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, okay, and then we'll talk about Motorola. Give, give me Motorola. Coupling an electronic skin tattoo to a mobile communication device. In May of 2012, Motorola Mobility, LLC, filed a patent for an electronic tattoo that would be placed either on the throat or near the throat, which would include a microphone. The microphone would pick up acoustic noise from your throat, and the tattoo would then be able to send a signal to a mobile communication device 
wirelessly, which would help people talk in crowded places. Which seems strange, but not at all nefarious, until they explain in detail 27 of the following patent. Optionally, the electronic skin tattoo can further include a galvanic skin response detector to detect skin resistance of a user. It is contemplated that a user that may be nervous or engaging in speaking falsehoods may exhibit different galvanic skin response than a more confident, truth-telling individual. Uh, you want me to put a narc tattoo on my throat? The patent, however, was not accepted. It switched hands in 2014 to Google Technology Holdings, LLC, and has since been abandoned due to a failure to respond on Google's part. But I'm still not sure I feel comfortable with a company like Google having an idea like that. Fun. Ba da 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 Bing! <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's very, uh, it's very cyberpunk. Uh, your turn. Okay. So, my subject this week is snow sports, or specifically snowboarding. I'm going to tell you three stories about snowboard patents, and you need to figure out which patent story is wrong. The inventor of the snowboard is a contested title. There are three groups that could seriously lay claim to the throne. What isn't debatable is that snowboarding and snow sports in general would not be what it is today without these pioneers. And before we start, for your edification, a modern snowboard is defined as a wooden board, about as big as one is tall, bottomed with porous plastic, and has two bindings that securely connect your feet to the board via boots. What we're about to venture through is the idea, not necessarily what you can go out and buy today. So the patent for the snowboard. The the OG snowboard, yes. That's <laughs> a lot of words for just saying the patent to the snowboard, all I'm saying. It's 1917, Cloquet, Minnesota. A 13-year-old Vern Wickland is playing with with a toboggan with his two friends, Harvey and Gunnar Burgesson. The idea strikes him. Stick his belt through the rear slats and use the front rope to help balance and stand up on the toboggan as it goes downhill. Him and his friends called it the bunker. 22 years later, in 1939, the three friends held the patent for the, quote, sled, the prelude to the next advancement in snowboard technology. Unfortunate for the three friends, World War II broke out and the bunker was never made beyond 10 prototypes. It's 1963. Haddonfield, New Jersey. A 13-year-old Tom Sims is disappointed that it's snowing. He had gone on vacation in California a few years earlier and fell in love with skateboarding. He just wants to be skateboarding all year. In his woodworking class, he creates what he eventually calls a, quote, ski board, combining the elements of his favorite activities, skating and skiing. It's essentially a plank of pine with a defined nose, the top covered in carpet for traction, and aluminum sheeting on the bottom with candle wax to decrease friction. Three years later, he holds the patent to the ski board. This is very close to modern snowboards, but is still missing bindings. In 1980, he founded Sim Snowboards and skateboards with his friend Chuck Barfoot. It's 1964, Muskegon, Michigan. Sherman Poppin was an engineer and inventor in his spare time. He invented a toy for his daughters by tying two skis together so that they could glide downhill. He added a rope to the tip to help with balance and steering. His wife named it the Snurfer. Literally just combining the two words, snow and surfer. Two years later, he holds the patent to the snurfer. But this is still just a precursor to modern snowboards. It became a real hit among his daughter's friends that Poppin was able to license the idea to the Brunswick Corporation. By 1966, and with Brunswick's marketing, the snurfer was making it into the Sears catalog and sold millions. It is considered one of the best inventions of the 1960s. So that's 19... So I'm supposed to figure out which one of these is a lie. One of those three is an imposter, or at least not the father of snowboarding patents. And while you contemplate who you think it is, 
an opinion for myself on the matter. I realized as I was writing this that the whole premise to this story is kind of weird. They don't really follow the essence of snowboarding in the, quote, normal development of an invention. Usually a patent is sought out before the invention is brought to market. In fact, all three of these men were working and sold their idea to snowboard years before they got the patents to them. Snowboarding has an air of counterculture, so me labeling one of these legends as not a father of snowboarding feels disingenuous. Deep down, these inventors were just looking for a way to connect with the snow in a way that wasn't thought out yet. I personally don't believe they ever did what they did strictly for money, and as far as I'm concerned, these men all contributed to the soul of snowboarding. Just that one didn't have a piece of paper to prove it. And God forbid we ever tackle societal movements or anything else that comes along with personal opinions, because this feels wrong to categorize. Okay, so uh, tirade over. Okay. Your answer? So, let's see, we got the guy that apparently invented toboggans. Guy who used toboggan, guy who used skis, guy who made his own thing. Oh, and one of these led to a snowboard? Uh, uh, No, they all technically led to snowboards. The thing is, one of them didn't actually get the patent to what they were doing. Oh, so one of these is actually not patented. Yeah. I think it's the first one, the guy with the toboggan. Uh, so you think it was Fern Wicklund and the, the Burgenson brothers? God, I don't know. I'm trying to think of people who'd be, who wouldn't go out of the way to get a patent. <laughs> and they just seem too off the cuff. Okay. Well, that's incorrect. It was Tom Sims. The story goes that he never patented his idea, which would eventually become a snowscape. So in the end, it really just depends on where you draw the line. Is a stand-up toboggan close enough? How about a skateboard deck topped with carpet and bond with aluminum? Is the snurfer with its one foothold and hand leash close enough? A few things of note. First, uh, there will be a video in the show notes. It's a video of Vern and one or both of the Burgenson brothers ripping the bunker in 1917. The video was actually released by Vern's grandson, and it's pretty awesome. They ripped despite wearing trousers. Ripped despite? No, they, they shred. Oh, Oh, ripped despite wearing trousers. They ripped oh, okay. Wearing trousers. I thought, what is ripping a spite? I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's in black and white, and I believe this was taken around 1930 or 1932. Yeah, they probably submitted this idea, this uh, this video with their patent to the patent office. But yeah, they're they're cruising. They were probably having more fun than like 99 percent of the people in that area. Like that looks so fun. And then that's, yeah, get children on there. That all sounds good. That's Vern's son or the uploader's dad. Anyways, it's uh, <laughs> it's about five minutes. It's, that's pretty fun. It's more more of that. So yeah, that's uh. All right, I think we both confused each other uh very well, very thoroughly. Yep, that was something. Did you have any notables? Any uh? uh yeah, I did have some notables. Oh, okay. I had at least one notable. Uh, did you know, Michael, did you know WD-40 is not patented because the company does not want to disclose the ingredients and risk copycats competing with them? It is also called WD-40 because it took 40 attempts to find the correct water displacing formula, thus standing for a water displacement 40th attempt. Yes, I did know that. In oh. fact... I just I just yelled it right at you. <laughs> In fact, many companies go out of their way not to patent their product for fear of copycats entering the market. They include WD-40, which you said, Coca-Cola, KFC Spice Formula, Emoticons, karaoke machines, matches, and fidget spinners. 
<laughs> that's, one, that's, that's good. Um, on the contrary, tech companies will often patent things they will never use, especially like even the story with the, the neck tattoo. Most of the stuff, the, they have the idea just so somebody else won't take it. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened. So uh, I used to work when we lived in San Diego. I worked at a business. I, I worked at Qualcomm. They make little chips for your phones and stuff. And the first thing they'll do is walk you in and show you on the wall just the thousands of patents that they have. And if you actually go and try to read them, they're for the most, like, t- some of the tiniest things. They're for things that have never been used. So, uh, yeah, technical companies do it the opposite way. <laughs> so, the patent for toilet paper shows the toilet paper placed with the free end of the roll over, according to the 1891 patent. I said patent a lot of times in that sentence. Anyways, yeah, no, so uh, in the patent for toilet paper, the, the roll is supposed to go over, not not under. So, just in case you have a familial dispute, you can just point to the patent. And... Or in case you want to uh, cause a familial dispute for something nobody cared about before you told them. It's weird touching the wall. That's all I'm saying. And all I'm saying is, who's even caring right now? Okay. Who cares which way the toilet paper is going? Patent 4,022,227 is the comb over. Guess what the specific name in the patent is? The, yes, it is your father's haircut. <laughs> no, but just as dumb. Method of concealing partial baldness. <laughs> hey, you know what? They do not beat around the bush for what the point of this this haircut is. Oh, uh, also, sorry, I have a little mini story that goes along with my story. Oh, my God. It's not, not technically about a patent, but it is a fun, fun little uh, piece of trivia. Are you familiar with the Bond film, of You to a Kill? Yes, we watched it together. I know, but I had to ask it in order to... I mean... It's, it's, called, it's called a lead-in question, and I went to, like, a day of lawyer school. <laughs> Anyways, do you notice anything particular about the intro sequence? Remember, it's the one where they're in, like, Scandinavia, and it's in the snow, and... Oh, you, when they're doing this thing, he has to kill the skiers? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't see anything interesting. Filmed in 1984, one of the people I just recently spoke about was the stunt double for James, who was shown snowboarding deftly between Russian skiers, snowmobilers, and gunfire. Okay, yeah, that is sick. Because I'm pretty sure we watched, I was like, yeah, no, he's not doing that. <laughs> it was Tom Sims. Nice. He was the stunt double for, for Bond. So, that's kind of cool. For Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Good for him. Um, I got one more. Do you have anything left? I have nothing else. <laughs> In 2017, Hasbro filed a trademark for the smell of Play-Doh. <laughs> the filing stated that the smell is a sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with slight overtones of cherry combined with the smell of salted Wheat-based dough. Okay. It was approved. <laughs> they are full of... If they think that that's what Play-Doh smells like. Over, over tones of cherry. I just like sweet, slightly musky. <laughs> I, they had me at musky. That is definitely... <laughs> Even the vanilla. It's You know, I can see it being a little vanilla-y. Vanilla-y. It's actually been a while since we've had a thing of Play-Doh, so I don't... Like, I know it has a really weird smell, but I couldn't tell you right now what it, what it 
smells like what it would smell like. Anyways. Well, there we go. I guess we gotta go out and get some Play-Doh. <laughs> Sorry, guys, we gotta wrap this uh, up. We gotta we gotta make an emergency run to go get some Play-Doh. <laughs> All right. Well, like, is that it? Yeah, I guess so. Mm, I guess we should uh, head out then. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm Michael. I'm Renna. Have a good one. Bye. For show ideas, inaccuracies, or general comments, you can email us at thelivepatrol at gmail.com. Intro and outro music provided by The Simulation Hypothesis by Revolution Void. Found on the Free Music Archive, CCBY license. Thanks for listening. His son, the infant. <laughs>